0: I have known some people in my, my life even from when I was a kid or even in high school I I've, I've known people in my life that I feel like they had everything going for them like what do we say they won the genetic lottery they're very attractive you know they could be Instagram influencers uh, they had all the, the the right stuff they were born in the right family they're smart Uh, talented people, uh, those overachievers, right? They had all the stuff, all the tools that you think, they're they're gonna go far. They're gonna just blow it out of the water. They're gonna be a big success no matter what they do. Uh, You know, that that captain of the football team, you know, that, that group of people that just seem to have everything going for them. Charisma, you know, they're gonna be rich and famous, they're gonna be a big leader. I've known those people, and then I've also watched what happens a few years down the road. And where sometimes you see these people that had everything going for them, and for whatever reason, and there's a million reasons probably, they never live up to their potential. Like all that they had is right there. And, and for whatever reason, they don't live up to that. Yeah, all their... All, all they had, they don't live up to uh, their potential. And maybe, maybe it could be, you know, a family member that you've watched this happen to, or maybe someone that you coached on a sports team, you know, a teacher. There might be some teachers out there, and you, you see these students, you think they got everything going for them. And then they, within a few years, for whatever reason, burn out, crash and burn, never live up to what could have been. Like, what, what could have been never emerged, and, and that's tough, isn't it? And maybe, maybe you're thinking about someone right now in your life that went through that, that had everything, and then never, never realized their potential. Because I think we love success stories. We like that whole rags for riches thing. It's kind of like an American culture thing, right? You pull yourself up for your bootstraps, you're going to be a self-made millionaire. All of that stuff sounds so appealing to us. Uh, And we we love to see potential realized. You know, that's something super satisfying as a coach or a teacher or a mentor, a counselor. When you see that potential realized, it just feels really good. It feels like all is right in the world that that person put all that work in and finally they achieve, you know, what you're hoping for. But sometimes that doesn't happen. And maybe maybe that's in our own lives. Do do each of us have some unrealized potential? And maybe some of you are mourning over that. What could have been never materialized? Well, Jesus today, as we lean into the text of Matthew, we're going to see Jesus lament over some unrealized potential in his people. And it's going to break his heart. Jesus, in all his divine humanity will show a depth of emotion that we don't often see in the life of Jesus. And he's going to show that today in the text. He's going to be lamenting over the great potential that the people of Israel had to bless the world. They were literally the city on the hill. Jerusalem was actually built on a hill at the crossroads of ancient cultures. They had a chance to bless the world. And Jesus is going to lament over their potential blessing that never was realized. People cheered him on that first day of his last week, right? They cheered him on Palm Sunday. Everybody's excited. The Messiah is here. We're raising our voices. And and then as he's entering the the last time that he's going to be in the temple before he's killed, there was this underlying sadness I think we see in his life as he's looking at his people whom he loved so much and they, they just didn't live up to their potential. They had so much. Way back when God promised Abraham, you're going to have so many kiddos, there's going to be more than the stars in the sky and you are going to be a blessing to all nations. That was the potential and it, and it wasn't realized. So we're going to lean into that today. So if you have a Bible or device, I encourage you to find, we're going to be toward the end of Matthew chapter 23, and we're going to see this rare but powerful moment of Jesus weeping over his people. that's what we're going to call the message today. I'm I'm Pastor Ben. I'm glad you're here with us on this first day of the week. Like we say often, there's Christ followers all over the globe lifting up the name of Jesus because that was the day so many years ago that he rose from the dead and changed human history. And so we gather like this to be encouraged, equipped, to be disciple makers who can make disciples in our world, in the people and the influence that we have. That's why we're here. So this is like a a rally party every Sunday around all those things that we love, the unifying of singing, about communion, about giving, and all of those things so that we can go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. So let's pray and then get into the text today. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God in heaven, you're mighty and powerful. This is your kingdom and not ours, and we're thankful for that. You're the one in charge, and we bow before your throne, Father, humbly asking that you would speak by the power of your Holy Spirit to to all of us through this text, that, Father, we would have the ears to hear, the eyes to see, and a heart that would be molded by you as we lean into your word. Father, challenge and change us, and that we would be your hands and feet. And so, Father, we uh, put this all in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you can't stand... Stand with me. I know some of you may not be able to physically, but if you can, let's stand up. We're reading the Word of God. This stuff's pretty important. Starting with verse thirty-seven of Matthew twenty-three. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. See, your, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these? Do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sit down. Oh boy. Now, you might, you might cry foul here when I said that I'm going to be talking about Jesus weeping because the text I just read doesn't really say that he's weeping. But stay, stay with me. I think there's an underlying level of emotion that sometimes we might miss by these very words. And certainly this final week of his life, I'm guessing he had a lot on his mind. By now he knew how this week was going to end. And uh, I'm guessing there's a range of emotion. You see, Jesus was fully human and fully God. He's feeling all the feels. I've heard that term lately. All the fields, he's feeling this. And he's, he's probably thinking about his disciples. I, they, do they know enough? You know, they, this ragtag football team, uh, do they know enough? I'm leaving this in their hands pretty soon. He's, he's probably thinking about the Jewish leadership and, and, and wondering, uh, is there any hope, any hope for these people? And he's thinking about the people that were supposed to be this blessing to all the world. Jerusalem was sitting in the crux of all the ancient roads of history, they were perfectly placed to be a blessing to every nation. And they had failed that potential. So you see this range of emotion that he's probably going through. He's, I, I don't know. If you knew you were going to be put to death in like three days, what are those conversations like? I, I think we need to lean in a little bit to these scriptures. You may be very familiar with this bit of scripture, but we got to see his humanity, and not just his humanity, his divinity, because these people were supposed to be the blessing for every nation. They were supposed to be a city on a hill. They literally were on a hill. Jerusalem was built on a hill. It was intentional. And so he's feeling a depth of emotion here that I sometimes, I think we miss. But luckily, we do have some gospel writers that fill in some of the, the, the gaps for us. In Luke chapter 19, I, I want to read this for you because this is powerful. There's more going on emotionally than maybe we, we at first glance see. In chapter 19, starting with verse 41, it informs us of some things going on here, the context of where Jesus is, is feeling at this point. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he what? He Wept over it. This isn't one of those little tear things, this is weeping. He wept over it and he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Those eyes that couldn't see and those ears that wouldn't hear. Hidden from your eyes now. Do you, do you see what's going on here? He is, he is lamenting that this people was supposed to be the blessing people. And they had missed the mark, especially the Jewish leadership. And he's, he's hurting for them. When was the last time we saw Jesus having this sort of depth of emotion? Anybody know? Bible nerds? Unite. John, right? John 11? If you were ever in one of those Bible bowls where you had to like memorize as many scripture passages as possible. You all know, without even me saying it, John eleven thirty 35. What is it? Jesus wept. You knew it. You didn't even know you could memorize scripture. You already had that in there. He's, he's weeping over what? What was his friend's name? You remember? It starts with an L. Yeah, Lazarus. So we, we got him crying in that moment over Lazarus, but I feel like there's much more going on to what he's crying over, weeping over, even with Lazarus. Because the text says he's looking around and he's seen these mourners. Some of them were religious leaders. And I think he's weeping over much more than just Lazarus. He's weeping over the destruction of sin, of his good creation that has been marred now by evil and sin. And I think his, the depth of that emotion is going way beyond just the death of his friend, which would have been enough. But I think he's crying over all of this. This good creation, there was so much potential. The writer Paul of Romans would say that creation is groaning. He's weeping over all of that. The suffering, death, all of this is affecting him. Sin's destruction. And it's no different on his last week of his life. He looks at the city, the city on a hill, this beautiful, stubborn city. This beautiful, stubborn people. Boy, sometimes I think we would fit that category. He's weeping. You know, Andrew talked last week, and he preached about, really, Jesus pulling no punches. He's going after it. There's the seven woes. Woe, 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 woe. Look it back. There's seven of them. You Look it up. Seven woes, and he was speaking to the religious leadership about how they seemed to care more about the externals than the internals. Their heart was so far from the Lord, they couldn't even see it anymore. God was standing right with them, and they couldn't see him. Jesus would say here in our passage, you didn't even know the day of the visitation. God had come right to you, Emmanuel, God with us, and they would not see it. And he's hurting They would kill every prophet that would come to them and try to bring them back to God. Over and over, the prophets were killed, abused, ignored, even up to the most recent prophet, John the Baptist. They killed them all. and They were calling people back to repentance, calling people back so that their hearts would be brought in sync with with God who loves them but they would not have it. Jesus would, but they wouldn't. Would that I, would? You, you just let me, like a mother grabs her little ones and cradles them. That's his language. I I, would, I wanted to do that, but you wouldn't have it. You just wouldn't have it. You, you miss the day of God himself visiting you. Oh, I would hope that we wouldn't be people who would see God with our eyes and say, nope. Ah, this is heavy, isn't it? You're like, why did I come to church today? This is so heavy. This is what the text says. So the the city, they're going to have to be judged. And I think this is what's so hard for Jesus. Because not only can he see his pending death in a few days, it's clear from the text he also knew what was going to happen to the city of Jerusalem by Roman military In 70 A.D., not just their temple, which, by the way, the temple took up like a sixth of the city. That should be a hint of how they were supposed to be a city on a hill. The worship of God, Yahweh, was like a sixth of their city. They were at a crossroads of the ancient world. They were supposed to be a city on a hill, not just for Jerusalem, but for the world. But Jesus saw ahead that not one stone would be left. And we'll talk about that. His heart is heavy. And I want to continue. We were just in Luke chapter 19 and Jesus weeping, right? Let's carry that a few more verses, starting with verse 43. For the days will come upon you when your enemies, what is Jesus seeing here? When your enemies will build an embankment against you and surround you and close in on you from every side, they will demolish you, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave with within you one stone on top of another because you did not recognize, hear this, you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. God came among you and you missed it. I mean, he's sort of talking about himself sort of in third person, (laughs) like, I'm right here. He's looking at him saying, you missed the visitation. I am here and you miss it. You have eyes, but you can't see. You have ears, but you can't hear. Didn't Jesus say that a few times? Now, before you get all high and mighty about those, you know, unbelieving Jewish people in the first century, be aware. Every time you point at somebody else, like Andrew pointed out last time, every time you point that finger, how many are pointing back at you? You didn't see it. Yeah, Right here, you didn't see me. there's multiple times recorded in the Gospels where Jesus is upset about this beautiful, stubborn city on a hill. They were going to be a blessing to all nations. They were supposed to be a city of peace. There's psalm bits in the psalm book that say, hey, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It was supposed to be a bringer of peace, shalom. Sitting at the crossroads of the ancient world, a city literally on a hill. To be a blessing to all nations. And they had never lived up to that potential. And it hurts his heart. Unrealized potential, right? How tragic. So tragic. This stubborn, beautiful city on a hill that would not realize its full potential. And, and God's heart was that nobody would be left out of his kingdom. That they would all get to be at the Messiah banquet. Everybody would get invited. God's heart was that nobody would be lost. He didn't want any of this destruction. He's weeping over all of this destruction, unnecessary. His tears, can you see his tears as he's thinking about his people, thinking about this children of Abraham that were supposed to touch everyone with love and peace? His heart is breaking. Jesus would, but they would not. The unwillingness of his people and the Jewish leadership is a tragedy of lost opportunity. And Jesus weeps. They, they were at a place where they made a heart decision that became an eternal destination. And for many of them, within a generation, would never see the city of Jerusalem ever like this again. See, the ancient temple was one of the ancient wonders of the world, it, the architecture was unbelievable. But that city and that temple would never be rebuilt like that. This was sort of the beginning of the end. And Jesus' heart was heavy. Their, their heart decision became an eternal destination. Now history does record, in pretty graphic detail, what happened at 70 .AD, within a generation. Jesus saying, "Yeah, you guys see all these stones. You see this beautiful building? The whole city?" Jesus said, not one of these stones will even be left on top of another. Rome would completely decimate the city and the temple. I listened to a sermon by R.C. Sproul. Some of you might know that name. And he said this several years ago. Under his leadership, Titus brought troops to surround Jerusalem. His father, the emperor, instructed him, every man, woman, and child in that city shall be destroyed. We think of World War II and, and, and the atrocities committed by, by Hitler in the Holocaust. This was the first Holocaust. This was the first Holocaust. Historian Josephus tells us there were 1.1 million Jewish men, women, and children that were annihilated in Jerusalem. Not one stone was literally left upon Another. The city was completely burned to the ground. This ancient city. What is Jesus seeing that day when he was talking to his disciples a couple days before and he's just, his heart is heavy. His people, this stubborn, beautiful city that was going to be a city on a hill to reach every nation in the ancient world. They were poised for perfect connection to all of those places. This little strip of land that we've fought over for 2,000 years since. That's where the nation was, and the city was right in the heart of that. It was done absolutely intentional by God because that's where all roads would go through. A city on a hill, a blessing to all nations, burned to the ground. R.C. Sproul continues, While the Romans surrounded the city, they built barricades and ramparts in order to approach the city after a lengthy siege. They encamped around the city on the Mount of Olives. And these olive trees that had filled these hills for two to three hundred years were laid waste by the Roman army. Just decimated. Everywhere those prayer moments happen, picture that with Jesus and his disciples. Decimated. The Roman soldiers, just to keep warm during the siege, cut down these ancient olive trees for firewood. Destroyed. They built machines that hurled huge stones across and into the walls. They set the city ablaze. They came and killed them all. Jesus said it would happen. Another scholar said this about this city. And maybe you haven't thought about this. When I said this was strategic by God to have this city in this place, at the crossroads of ancient cultures. Jerusalem, the holy city, was built on Abraham's Mount Moriah, David's Mount Zion. Its foundations rested upon the Salem of Melchizedek and the Jeb and Jabus of the Jebusites. It was made the capital of God's nation during the reign of King David and served as such, until it was destroyed the first time by who? Babylon. Jerusalem was rebuilt. If you remember this, there's three books in the Bible about the rebuilding. You guys remember some of this? Ezra, Nehemiah, right? Zerubbabel, weird name, but they came to rebuild the city. So this is the rebuilt, to some degree, city. And then the Herod group built it up even more, spent lots of money, This city had heard the voice and seen the face of God. And one day, the prophets tell us in Revelation 21 that there will be a new Jerusalem coming down from God's realm. But as this awful day approached where Jesus would face his crucifixion, Jesus is weeping over the city. So much unrealized potential to be a blessing to everyone, every tribe, tongue, and nation. Didn't matter. They were supposed to be a blessing to everybody. Jesus is weeping. It must have stunned the disciples because, remember, they're pretty in awe over the temple itself. I mean, again, it was about a sixth of the city of Jerusalem. it's huge. And then they would have seen all the ornate detail that one of the Herods put, put down for this. Was it Herod the Great, I think, was the one that built it? Anyone? Okay. Bible nerds unite. But the Herods had built this up, and it was, it was amazing. I'm not even sure how they did it. It's kind of like, it's not maybe like the pyramids, which also like blow my mind. Like how did that happen? But there were stones, and you can still see them today, in the temple area that were some like 40 feet long by like 18 feet wide by like 12 feet high, solid stone weighing upwards of 400 tons. So I don't even know how they, Herod got The the ability to put them on the the temple in the first place. But the Romans wanted to make a statement. Now, one of these 400-ton stones would be on another. That's it. That's commitment by the Roman army. Holy moly. It must have been confusing for the disciples. This ancient wonder of the world destroyed within a generation. This holy city, a city on a hill, a city that was supposed to bring, bring peace was no longer under the protection of God. Left within ruins decades later from this moment. They had missed the day of the visitation. Broke Jesus' heart. See, I think he was lamenting a lot of this. We we talk about Jesus on the cross sometimes and about uh, how his body reacted to such torture. And... There have been a few scholars that that think that the big thing that took him down off that cross, the the big thing that that finally he gave up his last breath was a broken heart. The people, the city on a hill, you're there. This is everything that God had hoped for. And they missed the day of the visitation. They missed Emmanuel walking right in front of them. Jesus would, but they would not and he just wanted to bring him in like a mommy with her children but they would not do you see the heart of god here and scandalously god has the same heart for you and me we are so stubborn think of all the people in this room and maybe some of our unrealized potential it's just got kind of heavy We are a city on a hill. Jesus talked about that on that Sermon on the Mount. This was months ago now. Matthew 5 to 7, the big uh, sort of the, the kingdom manifesto, if you will. This is how the new way to be human is. This is what it means to be in the kingdom. And he talked about being a city on a hill. And what does light bring? Light brings color. It allows you to see art. And Jesus said, you're going to be the salt of the earth. Salt preserves and brings flavor. This is what his people were meant to do. It all started with Abraham and his children and the city on a hill that never realized its potential, right at the cradle of the ancient world and within a generation destroyed. How would Jesus lament for us now? So many years later, now that we have the evangelical church and all our denominations and all of this, what would he lament over us? And maybe, maybe our lost potential times when we had an opportunity to love our neighbor or to, to, to help the least of these and we didn't do it what would he lament over in your life, in my life what about, what about our addiction to comfort and pleasure would he lament over that the things driving us are whatever going to make us feel good What is he lamenting over in your life and my life right now? Lost potential. What about about some of us that we've gotten too wrapped up in, in all these things that are distracting? But they're not the main thing. What about our aversion to things like surrender and sacrifice and suffering? Because Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. And I kind of wonder sometimes, if we're not facing some of those things, where are we at with Jesus? I'm not saying we want those things. I don't want suffering. But am I living in such a way that I'm on the radar? What would Jesus lament over? What about our disciple-making? Everybody gets a little confused on how it is that we make disciples. But Jesus made it pretty clear listen to what I said, and put it into practice. Every follower of Jesus in this room now knows how to make a disciple. Who's in your life? What did Jesus say? How are we going to put it into practice? Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I've commanded. You now are released. Go make disciples. You don't need a three-ring binder with 500 pages and addendums and... I'm not saying there's not some good study out there, but this is what we do. What about our disciple-making? Would Jesus lament over that? That we have all these people in our life and we're saying nothing. We're not helping them get connected to hope and freedom. And freedom from breakthrough. We sing about that. Freedom from addiction. You don't have to say yes anymore. He came for that. Would he lament over that? I don't want to be so heavy today, but my goodness, the text shows a heavy heart of Jesus because of so much potential. We have the potential to reach our community, our world. We can be salt and light. We can be that city on a, hill, uh, on a hill that Jerusalem failed to be. We can be that. So I want us to commit to something today. I want you and I to commit today to refuse to reject Jesus. Refuse to reject Jesus in every area. Those dark places that we don't want to let him into, those secrets, let him in. Refuse today to reject him. I don't know what he's calling you to do. Maybe it's to to make that phone call. Uh, Maybe it's that neighbor. Maybe it's that bit of kindness that's been nagging at you. Refuse to reject Jesus any longer. We are a city on a hill. We can bring peace to a very chaotic world because of Jesus. Refuse to reject him. What's one step you can take this week to, to live this? to refuse to reject Jesus in your life. It could be people that you're in a sports team with or someone you can just share a story that you heard from Jesus and just see People, people are okay with you talking. They're okay if you want to pray for them. I pray for complete strangers sometimes. They let me. It's cool. What's one step you could take this week to refuse to reject Jesus? I don't know what he's calling you to do something to drop, a habit to drop, uh, some accountability on an area, uh, a ministry opportunity that, that he's bringing to you. The Holy Spirit may be speaking to you. So refuse to reject Jesus. Don't be, don't be ones that by the time we see Jesus in new heavens and new earth, we, we, we want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, because we had our potential and we used it. We're never going to be perfect at this. Don't play that game. But refuse to reject Jesus. If he's asking you to do something, his arms are open wide. He's still ready for that gathering. So maybe you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never actually surrendered in the first place. This would be the day. See me, see one of the elders. Let's get this going. I want you in the kingdom. Because he has so much potential in you and me. He wants to see bless the world. Refuse to reject Jesus. Imagine if we would allow that to happen more and more. And when you and I are walking through this life, walking through this community, walking through this city, that we would see ourselves as missionaries. We would see ourselves as a disciple-making disciple. disciple. And we're praying for conversations. We're praying for people that we meet refuse to reject Jesus in any area of life, including mission. We are called to a mission, to be a city on a hill. And I I think Jesus is counting on us and he believes in us. Let's pray. Father, you're good and powerful. We know that. We're thankful for your son, Jesus, everything he did to model for us what it means to be a new human. Father, we today refuse to reject Jesus' work in our life, that we would, would refuse to ignore what your son is telling us. Father, that we'd be open to every area we would invite you in, that you'd do the healing work, the mending work, and that, Father, we would be your hands and feet, and we would be that city on the hill you've called us to to bring light and hope and flavor to the world. May we be your people until you come back. In Jesus' name, amen.